Hello. Please consider supporting this podcast by joining our Movers Mindset Insiders program. Membership is $5 per month, and insiders get early access to podcast episodes, exclusive emails, and a private discussion area. You can also submit questions for the monthly guest Q&A follow-up episodes, and you'll get the occasional discount codes for cool swag. Interested? Read more at moversmindset.com slash insiders. Thanks for listening. Hello, I'm Craig Constantine. I'm Jesse Danger. Today's guest is someone that I have been tap dancing around interviewing for many months, and that's mostly because I think of so many different things that we should talk about. So Jesse Danger is an influential figure in the sense that he's simply doing what he believes he should be doing. And everybody has a different role to play within the larger sphere of movement and play and parkour and art de placement. And it's my personal pleasure to get to sit down today and talk about movement and education and learning. So welcome, Jesse. Thank you. How did you get from the doer to the facilitator? So in the beginning, I don't think that you had uh, visions of becoming a parkour community leader, that you were just following your own path and you and parkour was the path that you were taking. And so how did that turn into... Um, obviously, you don't do everything yourself, but how did, how did that turn into you being you know, one of the key people who keeps the community moving forward and, and focused on what it is doing? How did you get from... Well, a, a big thing for, for me, uh, I mentioned before the interview that I've been running experiments on myself since I was 12. And so one, <laughs> of, the, one of the experiments was, okay, uh, what, what happens if you set a time, you say 6.30 to 8.30, every Tuesday, you're going to go out and train. You're going to do it the same time every week. Let's see what happens. And the first thing that happened is uh, it's kind of rough to keep the schedule. I don't, I don't even know if it's helpful. And then... Oh, no, it's raining, right? <laughs> oh, no, it's raining. Oh, it's getting cold. It's winter. Nobody wants to come out. Yeah, now I'm by myself. Now I'm by myself. But, but then what start to notice is, well, after I train, I feel better. And then I, I feel better for like two days after that too. So I could just do like a, a few of these sessions a week and, and that, would, that would coast me on, on my feelings, maybe not get me towards my, my, my ambitious goals, but it would like help mentally regulate me. And that, that was hugely powerful. And then this just became this... Uh, and dedication to myself to to go out and to to train, and my like my promise to myself every Tuesday is to go out and get the training that I need, whatever that looks like. You know, maybe I did a lot of jumping that week, and I need to do some kind of recovery. Like I'm going to do that there. And you know, listening to a friend of mine, he said, uh, if you're truly connected with how you can heal yourself, then you can heal others. So the movement creative. Depending on, on, I think, who I would talk to, they would have a completely different opinions of what MC really is. Like, is it a business or is it a, this, this organic creation? And I think in reality, it grew out of, it became structurally, legally, you know, organizationally, it became just simply what it needed to become in order to do what you guys wanted to do with it. And I, I think there's some really complex... Um, philosophical points maybe that people in the United States need to unpack that are related to business versus the goal of the business. Like, 
if you create a business, are you creating a tool because you need a screwdriver to solve a problem, or are you creating a tool because you think the tool would be cool? And and I think that's really a subtle point, and maybe I'm wrong, everybody thinks that's obvious, but I think that's a subtle point that a lot of people miss, and they tend to throw the baby, the business, out with the bathwater, and they go, well, this particular business didn't work well, so they throw all business out, or throw all businesses under the bus. And my question for you specifically, since that was rambling, my question for you specifically is how do you figure out what to do next when you need to put on your business hat and then, you know, or do you not have a business hat and you just, you know, shoot from the hip all the time? Uh, well, my my biggest define, defining guidance is not to do anything offensive to my soul. I've done plenty of things that were offensive to my soul. <laughs> oh, name two, no kidding. <laughs> but that's that's what what is is guiding me. I don't think that the movement creative has to succeed. I don't think I have to succeed. I don't think I have to make money. I don't think I have to eat. I don't think I have to like breathe or be alive. Like I'm I'm here on purpose. I want to be here. I want to share this. I want to eat. I want to enjoy life. I want to like bring this out into the world. And and coming from from that core of like this is a decision. There's a million things I could do to make money. This this has to be because I want to share this thing. And then if I want to share this thing, how how can I share it in a way that I totally agree with? And if it's not working, then I need to just look at myself and figure out what I need to learn or understand better, or you know even that that relationship to to business being a, a, a tool to help something come to be, that's still something I'm working on. Honestly, I think the hardest part about interviewing you is I can't decide what to talk about. So I, I ask guests all the time, is there something that you would like to share in here? And Jesse just hit me with something that I know nothing about, so you wanted to talk about? Systems thinking through game design. All right, so our, my first school program was, was teaching... Uh, parkour as a, a boss level at a school called Quest to Learn. It's partnered with Institute of Play. And uh, I got in there with a friend of a friend, an acquaintance. He knew that I did parkour and he heard that his students wanted to do it. So we, we ran a week-long session and it went pretty well. So they asked us to run another one. And by, I mean, so we're, we're thinking about running this, this other one. And then they ask us to run a after-school program. They ask us to run a summer camp. And as we are running like more and more there, you know, parkour is is my thing. But I want this to be co-created. I want this to be working with in like what what values is the the school like? What's the school trying to do? What are, what are these students trying to do? Like what's important to them? Can we use parkour to to teach something a little bit more? And you know, I'm I'm in the school and I see you know, they break system they break the uh, they break systems down you know you have the, your goal what you're trying to achieve and a challenge what's what's stopping you what's in your way you have the space that you're in you have the the core mechanics what's what what you're going to use to accomplish your goal you have uh maybe some some tools some things you can use as well and and there's there's rules to any system there's some sort of rules so I started working with Brendan Tremblay, who uh, I just got to go to China with. 
to coach um, in December. And you know, Brendan is a, a game designer. He will design a, a simple game to teach about tyranny where kids every day after, like every day once a day, they're, they're gonna vote whether they want to uh, work or rebel. And if enough people rebel, the king is overthrown and they have to elect a new king. If they work, one gold gets distributed to the king. And then the king gets to distribute it however he wants. Oh, okay. <laughs> There's a feedback, so, right? So that's that's the whole game. And you, you play this with for, for one week with sixth graders, seventh graders. They're they're going to experience tyranny for a week. <laughs> but it only takes one minute a day. And then it's happening between like classes and it's it's like in in the lunchroom and it's like we have to we have to get this or like like let's get it this round and then we'll we'll distribute to just our class and it's like well that didn't work like as <laughs> <laughs> you said last time uh, but he you know he'll also make a game that's like uh like he made a, a working hair follicle cell in Minecraft so you could you could move around in mine in in in, in a the little hair mine, follicle <laughs> in, and you could you could make the hair follicle grow one cubit if you operated the cell correctly oh, that's neat. <laughs> And it's like, oh wow, like we can really use these to to teach something. So it started being like, okay, well, maybe we can use uh, some some games to to teach movement. And and I think it transitioned totally for me to like, how can I use movement to teach like this idea? And this idea is we're playing all these different movement games, different parkour games. Um, and as we keep running the program, we're playing games that other students have have uh, created in this process. And then we're asking students like, well, what, what do you want to get better at? You know, maybe it's teamwork, maybe it's jumping, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. And, and saying, okay, how can we create a game that will make everybody who's playing it better at this thing? That's awesome. Like, <laughs> and you take some of your favorite games and you say like, okay, what's the goal of tag? Or what's the goal of hide and seek? Or what, like what, and and what are the core mechanics and like what what do we learn from this game? What does this game teach us? If if we get really good at this game, what will we get really good at? And it becomes this like oh I can like take this piece and this piece and I can or I don't like this game at all. Like let's change one small thing about it. And now now what happens? Yeah, completely like, different animal, right? You say like okay, well I want to play tag, but we only have one small room. How are we going to play it? Oh. You change the space a little bit. Right? You know, you, you change you change the system. You just pull one piece out and put one piece in, and and you see like how does this change everything? And and to me, that was a, a hugely empowering tool. And you know, I'm driving up on the the car yesterday. Everybody's in the the van, and I'm like, well, what game can we play in a parking lot? And it's like. And I can just see, like, you know, what are... All the people coming into the parking lot are like, what is going on here? 14 idiots running around in the yeah. parking lot. What are, like, what are my goals? What am I trying to achieve here? I want everybody to, to move together, to have a fun time, be a little bit confused, uh, like, yeah, warm, warm up. Warm movement up. check, right? Yeah, move, movement check. Uh, create an equal space. Um, c- create a, a space that is too complex and too fresh 
for anybody to possibly be good at it, right. which is also an important thing. Like we keep making these new games. Like we don't want to be good at these games. These games don't matter at all. We want to be like adaptable. We want to be ready to play whatever game and, and just be open to it and, and see what we can gain. And, you know, how powerful is it to, to uh, tell an eight year old or 11 year old, like, yeah, make a game that you're going to beat us at. You know, go, go out, find a parkour challenge that, that I can't do. I'm going to find one you can't do, and he's going to find one neither of us can do. And then we're going to try each other's challenges until we can figure something out about it. I'd like to talk a little bit about the role of novelty. So part, it seems to me, of what makes those game structures work so well is novelty levels the playing field. So if the game is novel to everyone in the room, then we're all starting from the same place. We have natural talents and strengths, but we're all starting from the same place. And it seems to me that you could also talk about the novelty that's inherent in activities like attending a retreat, or this one is about winter, so we're doing things like going outside, you know, intentionally underdressed, etc. And we were hiking on a snow-packed, snow-covered trail, and I intentionally chose, knowing full well how this would work out, I intentionally chose to go in minimalist footwear with like a pair of wool socks, knowing full well that my feet would be soaked, my toes would be frozen, and my intention was to go manage frost nip was like my plan for the day. Like, can I go and play in an environment where I would normally have on heavy shoes because that's the safe thing to protect your ankles. That's the warm thing. That's the dry thing. That's the thing my mother is saying, put your shoes on. You know? um, so I'm wondering how necessary, how, and I know that it's important, but how deeply necessary is that novelty? Is it you, one must find that novelty or you, if you find it once a month, that's okay? Or should you seek it constantly? Do you have to get on an airplane and go to you know, the international gathering versus just playing in your play lot? Like how deep is that need for novelty? Yeah, well, I, th- I think we can create like a, a value system around like which novelty we prefer. But I don't, I don't think that we need to. I think we can see that you know, repetition is impossible. Nothing will ever be the same as it was. Like things are constantly changing. So everything is novel all the time. And, and whether or not we notice that is just up to our awareness. We can also intentionally create novelty. We can do something like uh, not wear enough clothes or um, challenge ourselves in some small but ridiculous way. And we can see what, what comes of that. And yeah, novelty, novelty levels the playing field. Like what that brings up for me is thinking about, you know, how I think I heard Rafe Kelly say it first, like talking about how kids play versus adults play, like adults play to win and kids play to keep playing. And, you know, you can watch kids roughhouse and they'll change the rules of, of wrestling just so that either side can win. And it needs to be like 33, 66. Like you need to have like a third of a chance to, to, to to win. And I noticed the same thing when I went to the, the international gathering, we, we created a game and there's like six of us jumping around on these wooden beams. And then, uh, you know, it stops. It stops being fun, or or somebody has like really figured out a strategy, and it's like, well, we've really got to shake that up. And and we're able to keep playing new versions of that same game for an hour and a half. And how much jumping happened in an hour and a half? Like, do you do you have to do you have to go to like uh, uh, a, a CrossFit box and say like you're going to do three sets of sixty box jumps, or and and w- and what happens if you do three sets of sixty box jumps? Versus like, well, I, th- I think we jumped 180 times. It felt good. Yeah. We had fun. We connected with each other. I, I made friends in that moment that 
like I I don't know. I trust, I respect, like I want to know more about. It's pretty powerful to me. I know that happens at CrossFit as well. Oh, right. <laughs> right. But the the novelty is like some sort of catalyst for that. Um I've talked before about single serving size parkour friends, which I love that from Fight Club. And but there's something about that novelty which makes those uh people click more quickly. So you can certainly find that novelty at any place, but that novelty is like a gateway drug to making the moment memorable and making the moment deeper. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, what I noticed, you know, finding this, uh, all of these things that I was looking for in parkour and in the parkour community and the people I was surrounding myself with, um, I thought it like had to be, you know, that and had to be in a certain way. It had to be, like pushing and challenge, it had to be uh, like doing something ridiculous. It had to be, and then maybe later it had to be like training and having fun or like being able to goof off together. And now what I see when I sit in circle is that I gain uh, a deeper respect for everyone I'm sitting in circle with and also like everyone in my life. You know, and I see elements of myself in different people and I see. You know, ways that I've hurt people, ways that I've been hurt, uh, ways that uh, new things to pay attention to, ways I can grow. Like, it's incredible. Yeah, all because you're listening. <laughs> yeah, that's... Yeah, it's a, it's a practice of listening. We've touched on a couple of different topics kind of going in different directions, and I generally like to encourage guests to bring up random items and you wanted to talk about something in particular, sort of about the bigger picture about our discipline. And I'm, I'm making air quotes around discipline because I don't want to put it in a box in preparation for you to form your thoughts. Uh, not what I thought got me into parkour, but some of the contributing maybe larger factors that, that brought me to parkour and how I see like re- resonance in other people that, that have come into parkour. Maybe they didn't like get along with team sports, they didn't get along with... Uh, competition, they wanted to do their own thing, um, and, and how that has created an, an emergence of like, okay, well, how do we grow this thing? How do we work together? How do we work together in this like isolated individual discipline? How do we integrate? And I see that uh, one of the most important things for, for me in that process is working through and unpacking my relationship with competition and my relationship with teamwork and my relationship with... Uh, Maybe co- authority or... Absolutely, my relationship with authority and, and seeing, you know, what, what part of this is this, uh, like, this fucked up world and what part of this is this fucked up me and, and, and seeing whether or not this is some, some kind of a, a wounded child inside of me that I can start to, to heal around it because ultimately if I am modeling, practicing and, and teaching from that point, from that perspective, then I'm limiting who will be able to be affected by this. And I don't wanna do that because I think that we in parkour have come to some fantastic realizations of powerful movement practice that are widely applicable and could really help people in their lives. I don't want to limit it to to just who I was, but I also don't want to alienate who I was. I don't want to create anything that I wouldn't have wanted to be a part of. And 
already just by being a business, just by being an authority, just by having a coach, a leader, somebody telling me what to do, how to do it, when to do it, where to do it. That's the opposite of what brought you in. That's exactly the opposite of what brought me in. So how do I create that environment and the other environment? How do I bridge that gap? How do I create uh, an understanding of the discipline that isn't coming from the perspective of a, a wounded child? And to me... This is something this is something I, I see, I notice in myself. I'm like the wounded child and the philosopher. I'm I'm both of these things and I, I want that to be fully integrated. I want to be really connected with, you know, how I was hurt. But not just from that deep personal perspective of hurt, but but also like, yeah, like, you know, I didn't really like doing those things. I I didn't get along. I, I didn't want to play by the rules. I Team sports. Yeah. But but now, you know, can I go and, and play a game of basketball? Well, I think like with systems thinking through through game design, it really taught me like, oh, I can go play a game of basketball. I can just work on my communication. I can just work on my dribbling. I can just work on one small part of the larger complex, like intangible game. I was unable to focus on what was to me, operating in this level of mastery, I can just operate in this level of skill and drill. Even if I'm playing in a game where everybody else is operating in mastery, we're all, we're all different. We're all masters of different things. And being on a team is really like respecting and, and honoring that. And there's a, a power to this like in, intangible direction that you know, a group of people can move towards. But there's a, an incredible power to working together towards a single focus and that is my challenge now how do i work with people towards a single focus how do we how do we grow in this direction um you know it's, it's easy to grow in any direction when it's just you but if you want to be a part of something larger than yourself you need to respect the the larger social experiment the larger chemistry, like what is the reaction when these these elements are coming together, and is that uh, purely respectful and honoring of everybody's individual intentions and effort and attention? And, and it seems to me that what, that goes both ways. It's it's also that person, the let's call them the broken child that we're talking about. The broken child has to realize that they're going to outgrow that or they're going to be healed or they're going to move up or out into the bigger tribal society. But uh, there's also the, the the exact opposite, which is just as important, which is that the tribe has to realize that the tribe's job is not to fix the broken child. The, tri- the tribe's job is to facilitate whatever the broken child, it's a horrible metaphor, but whatever the broken child needs, that person needs X or Y or Z. And it's the tribe's job to provide those things. So the tribe is responsible for that person, the fact that they're broken and the fact that they need help, um, the, resp- the tribe is responsible for that and they have to facilitate that and have to figure out what works in this person's particular situation. So that's a, a very interesting point that you bring up. Yeah, and you know, bringing it up that way, you know, the, the tribe has to facilitate the needs. Like that is ultimately the, the healing is the, the, the tribe and, and the person deciding that nobody is broken here. Everybody has different needs. Exactly. Everybody has different value. Everybody is, is bringing story. something new to the table. Can we hold space for that and allow that to emerge in the way that it will? 
It's just brought us all the way back to the circle. <laughs> or do we have to tell people how to do things and how they're wrong and how they're not good enough? And is that the only way to grow? Is that the only how way that to... that worked out so far? Let's go a couple million years here. 2000, last 2,000 years, how's that worked out? Yeah. As I say, often one of my personal passions is collecting stories from other people because, as I say all the time, the passion that comes through when someone tells a story really gives you a, a glimpse into what makes them who they are. So, of course, is there a story you would like to share? Yeah, uh, you know, I just started uh, parkour. You know, as a, maybe a few years in, and uh, my parents were always really supportive of me. They always gave me a lot of freedom. They let me build like crazy stuff in their backyard. I'm not sure why. Um, and and they also let all sorts of people from all over the world stay with them. Um, sometimes lots of people. And the the story. I want to talk about is uh, PKNY. So it was like this big national jam. We had like 60 people at my parents' house and we're barbecuing and we're hanging out and, you know, people are sleeping on the stairs and yeah, just like... have a 7,000 square foot rambling ranch, right? <laughs> no, no, they have like a, yeah, like a, just a uh, kind of a, a, a typical New Jersey suburban house. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, there's, there's like people crammed in the in the corners, and uh, and we've we've got like a couple couple old like futons and and just people have tents in, in the backyard, and and uh, you know all these these people have come, and this is all just kind of this has become kind of normal to me. Like it doesn't seem like out of the ordinary or anything. Like I've now gone to like other people's places and slept on like windowsills and. You know, this is just this is parkour. This is normal. This is what we do. And, and you know, I, I'm like, okay, like I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm thinking about going out and training at at 2 a.m. You know, we had trained all day. Everybody's super tired. The the first day of a jam always gasses everybody out, and they always believe that they're gonna have like some sort of like magical I energy. I like, I didn't know the, about the right? future. <laughs> but we talk about you know doing a like a 2 a.m. conditioning session and. Uh, I, I talked to like a couple of the other guys who've been around a little bit longer and they want to like each like teach and, and coach something. And, um, and at, at 2 a.m. I, I, I get up and this is also like something I did all the time. It was just normal for me. Like I'm going to get up, out of my house. I'm going to go. I'm going to walk down the street. I'm going to get to the train tracks. These train tracks like they're, it's closed closed line and you can balance on the train tracks for miles, you know? And I'm just going, we go to a, a schoolyard, we jump around, we climb around, we go and we're balancing. And this is like, this is like two or three times a week. Like, this is not a weird thing for me. So, so we're going, we've got like 45 people. It's 2 a.m. We're in a New Jersey suburb. We go to a, we go to a, a football stadium and we're doing reverse quadrupedal on the on the stairs and we're climbing on the walls and we're like carrying each other on the football field and we're like crawling and, and climbing and 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 fighting and and playing and challenging each other for just like you know a few few hours and you know so now it's like 4:30 and we're we're heading home and man like people wanted to quit people were People, people cried. We lost a few. There's no like greater organizational structure. So like, <laughs> and, and, no, and no cell phones. So like, people didn't know the way. They're like, oh, I'm gonna go to the bathroom. Like, just wait for me a second. Like, okay, well, come back. Everybody's gone. Right? You know, hour and a half later, they like find find their way back to the house. And the the reason I'm telling this story is because like, you know, now 
I can piece together that that was like not that was that was a little atypical. Like that wasn't a, a a thing that people did all the time. But a friend of mine said like, oh, that was like a really meaningful experience for me. Like I still think back to that, and I'm like, that was like a riddle to me. Like, what do you mean you think back to that? Like, so yeah. Now I think back to it too. Can you take me back to a point in time where you weren't thinking about parkour? So like. Give me a snapshot of Jesse before you knew anything about parkour. Uh, I used to play a lot of chess. I was on a, a chess team um, when I was like 9, 10, 11. And uh, go, to, go to tournaments all the time. Um, really loved solving chess problems and uh, playing Playing the game, learning from the game, being being a chess player, uh, I I remember. You know, I I learned this. I learned like a, a bunch of different openings. You learn all the different moves and all the different moves that can happen from all the different moves. And you know, I remember like meeting a guy and he was playing in more of a a style he's playing around openings like he's like trying to let someone else take the center so that he can take it back and I was like well that's like that's different I thought you're supposed to do this other thing that's what I was taught like it's totally different and then you know I, I remember playing my uncle and my uncle is a, a master and uh, you know, I'm I'm thinking in in combinations I'm like you know how can I trick him in three moves that was that was my game of chess how can I trick this person in three moves. How can I win in three moves? How can I get a piece or a position, tempo? Like, how can I get something in three moves? And and I lose every single game <laughs> against my uncle. And he's like, "Well, I, I don't, I don't know. I, did, I didn't learn to play that way. I learned to play like positionally. I learned to pay attention to like what the board is and and move like positionally. And it, it became a lot more abstract. But he said that to me." And I didn't play him for a couple of years. I played him again, and I won. And I, I, I played him again, and I lost. And I, I think I would still lose most games against him. But <laughs> it's incredible to me, like this idea of like playing positionally, looking, looking at the, the board, not making this plan, this intention, like actually... You know, you can hold that possibility, but is each piece of it also helping? Is each piece of it also like moving towards your your greater intention? Is the whole picture some unified? Yeah, and whole. and remembering that like this is the the small game, like this is the finite game. It has an end. The goal in it is to learn something, and maybe gain some connection with the person across the table. That has nothing to do with with winning. That has nothing to do with trying to trick somebody. That's a different game. And that's the finite game. And the infinite game is like being this chess player or being this person. What does it all contribute to the larger sense of of self and, and who you are in the world? And that like path of integration was, I don't know, groundbreaking for me. And of course, the final question, three words to describe your practice. Resilient, adaptive, and delusional. (laughs) 
Okay. And why? <laughs> Or do you care to unpack those? Or you want to just leave it at that? Uh, resilient. I want to keep going no matter what. Adaptive. It's uh, maybe the same thing as resilient, but in the moment. Uh, the ability to change course. And uh, delusional. When I'm moving, I believe that I'm doing the best possible thing I could for the world. Thank you very much, Jesse. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Want more? Check out moversmindset.com slash insiders for a bunch of additional features. This was episode 14. For the show notes and full transcript, go to moversmindset.com slash 14. Thanks for listening.